Okay, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16 this morning. And uh, we are picking up at verse 16, and uh, this is a little bit of a long section. I'm going to read verse 16 uh, all the way to the end of the chapter. So let's give uh, attention to the reading of God's Word for His glory and for our edification this morning. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full." I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Uh, I'm going to start with a question. Don't answer this out loud. Don't even shake your head, especially if you've been a member of the church for a long time. Have you ever heard a sermon you couldn't follow? (laughs) For the sake of the recording, no one is nodding their head. Uh, Have you ever heard a sermon that left you more confused and perplexed than when it began? I just don't understand what this guy is talking about. 
Uh, We have been working through Jesus' final sermon to the disciples in the upper room. This sermon has left the disciples confused, not because Jesus needed a better homiletics professor, uh, but because they can't yet understand what is about to happen in terms of the cross and the resurrection. And here's the point that Jesus wants them to come away with in this section. Their sorrow will be transformed into joy. Uh, That's something that we need to know this morning, every morning. God transforms sorrow into joy. Uh, You can hear just in reading verses 16 to 19, the disciples' confusion... In verse 16, Jesus uses this quizzical phrase, in a little while. In verse 17, the disciples say, what is this he says to us? And then they repeat the discourse, in a little while. Uh, And then in verse 18, they say, what does he mean in a little while? And then they say, we don't know what he's talking about. And it's so easy for us in hindsight to make sense of this. You know, he's talking about the resurrection, duh. Uh, We have to be sympathetic to the disciples' confusion here. Jesus has told them he's going away, and he's told them he's coming back. And actually, in this upper room discourse, there are three different coming backs that have been covered. Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place, I will come and take you to myself. A reference to his return at the end of the age. Uh, Then Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A reference to how Jesus returns in the ministry of the Spirit. And now Jesus says, a little while, and you won't see me, and then you will see me. A reference to his return in the resurrection. And so in the farewell discourse, Jesus is preparing the disciples for his departure He's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified and killed. Uh, Verse 20 says, This is going to plunge the disciples into despair. They will sorrow. The enemies of Jesus will rejoice. But with the resurrection, that sorrow will be turned into joy. Uh, Note what Jesus doesn't say in verse 20. He doesn't say, You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will will be replaced by joy. He's not talking about substituting one thing for something else, like when you're doing an exchange at Target. Uh, He says one thing, sorrow, will become or will be transformed into another thing, joy. And the metaphor that Jesus uses in verse 21 is one that we inherently understand. I recognize as a man, some of us understand it better than others. Uh, But the metaphor is childbirth. Uh, There is the intense pain of labor, and then there is the joyful outcome of birth. And the very thing that was the cause of pain and tribulation and distress, the baby is now the source of joy and gladness and rejoicing. And so here's basically what Jesus is saying. He's saying, my death on the cross is going to make you weep and mourn. But my death on the cross, once you see me again, 
will make you rejoice. Because you will see it was not a tragedy, it wasn't a failure, it wasn't a cosmic misfortune. You will see it was salvation and life and peace and forgiveness. And like the woman who has given birth and is now so overwhelmed at the new life that is there, that her travail and pain have been completely transformed, so the cross will be transformed for you from a cause of sorrow to a source of joy when you see me again. Uh, Now, I really like what one commentator pointed out here. He said, in telling the disciples that their sorrow will be turned into joy, Jesus does not answer their question. He answers their need. Their question was, what do you mean? What is this stuff about a little while? And Jesus doesn't respond by saying, all right, everybody, gather around. Whiteboard time. Okay, first, you got the incarnation, and then you got the cross, then the resurrection, then I ascend, then we're going to have this period, we're going to call it the interadvental age, then I'll come one more time, and now you've got the whole map, and there's no reason to grieve, because you understand it all. Uh, Jesus says, no, 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 you're going to grieve, you're going to weep, you're going to mourn and lament, but trust me, believe me, your sorrow is going to be replaced by joy. He's not answering their question. He's answering their need. Uh, And God does not always answer our questions, but he always answers our needs. Uh, Sometimes the best answer to our question is not the answer to our question. Uh, There is probably a place right now where you have sorrow or pain. Why, Lord, are you working things out? Why, Lord, are you working things out this way? Uh, Lord, uh, I want you to provide me with an answer, with an explanation. Uh, It's enough to know with the psalmist. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's not an answer to your question. That's an answer to your need. Uh, So let's talk about this joy for a minute. Verse 22, uh, Jesus says, um, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. Okay, so uh, it's a relational joy. Uh, Back in verse 9, Jesus says, You will see me. Now in verse 22, he says, I will see you. So it's uh, Jesus and the disciples seeing each other that is the source of joy. It's a, it's a reunion. We actually read about it in John 20. Jesus appeared in the upper room. He said, peace be with you. They saw him. And he, showed, or he saw them, excuse me. He showed them, the disciples, uh, his hands and his side. They saw him. And then we read, they rejoiced to see the Lord. They were filled with joy at being in the presence of the Lord. So Jesus is talking about a relational joy. He's talking about a permanent joy. No one will take this joy from you. Uh, Ever plan a perfect trip only for somebody to get sick? Uh, Or a church picnic uh, only it rains? Uh, Worldly joys can be taken from you. Uh, Nothing can steal or undo the joy of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Trouble and disappointments will come. Disease will likely strike, even death 
will overtake you. Nothing can take away the joy that Jesus is the Lord of life. Because, you see, the joy can't be taken away because Jesus can't be taken away. He has returned in the resurrection. He has come by the Spirit. He will return in glory. He can't be taken away, so the joy can't be taken away. So it's a relational joy. It's a permanent joy. Uh, It's also, according to verse 22, a satisfying joy. Uh, uh, Sorry, verse 23. uh, Jesus says, uh, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Uh, I like the New American Standard here. In that day, you will not question me about anything. There's actually two different words for questioning uh, in verse 23. One which kind of means to ask about, and the other which kind of means to ask for. And right now, Jesus is using that one, ask about, because the disciples are filled with questions. And on that day... On that day when they see the resurrected Jesus, they will have no more questions, which means they will be in a place where there's no anxiety. Uh, You you see this sometimes in counseling. People come in with a hundred questions. Well, what about this? And what's going to happen? If they do this, what's going to happen over here? And they've got all these questions. But by the end, when hopefully they're resting in God's providence, that this is just something they've got to walk through with the Lord, they don't have any more questions. They're just like, okay, the Lord is is with me. Uh, And so being in the presence of Jesus means joyful comprehension overtakes sorrowful confusion and questioning. Uh, it's, it's a satisfying kind of joy. And uh, it's a joy experience, Jesus says, through triumphant prayer. Uh, that's the second half of verse 23 and 24. Jesus says, uh, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Uh, Now, what what is this business about until now, you have not asked for anything in my name? And I think that to ask for something in Jesus' name here is not a phrase that you tack on to the end of your prayers. Uh, It's It's a way of saying we're asking on the basis of Jesus' finished work. And in view of Jesus' completed work, in view of his death and resurrection journey, the disciples will be invited to bring their request to the Father. They will have a a new kind of access to the Father in prayer, and that hasn't happened yet because Jesus' journey back to the Father has not been completed. Uh, And so Jesus is talking to them about this new access to the Father. Jesus also wants to correct a misunderstanding uh, about prayer, a misunderstanding that many people have about prayer. And he does that in verses 26 and 27. He says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. So sometimes we think of this new access that we have to the Father in Jesus uh, as uh, it's kind of this thing where uh, we give our request to Jesus and then Jesus bends the Father's will to answer them. 
Uh, because, you know, we tend to think of the father as being standoffish or unwilling to give us anything. He has no desire to answer our prayers until Jesus coaxes and cajoles the father into action based on his finished work. Uh, and praying in Jesus' name is never asking Jesus to persuade the father to love us. Jesus says, the father already loves you. Because you have loved me. Uh, and now someone, someone here, you know, one of our careful Bible readers, is going to say, wait a second, wait a second. This is a contradiction. Uh, because here Jesus says, uh, the Father loves you because you love me. And in 1 John, it says, we love him because he loved us. So which one of these is it? And I think it's important to recognize here, Jesus is not talking here about election and predestination. He's answering the problem of prayer. Uh, how can the Father delight in me? Or let me put it this way. How do I know when I come into the presence of the Father that He delights in me? How do I know that He wants to hear from me? How can I draw near if I am weak and sinful and know He wants to hear my prayers and that He really is my Father? Uh, and Jesus says, um, uh, do you believe in me? Are you full of joy and gratitude that I am the Savior? Then the Father delights in you. He, he loves that. Uh, don't believe the lie that God is mostly irritated with you or disappointed with you or mad at you. It was the love of the Father that sent the Son. And when we love the Son and believe in the Son and come to the Father through the Son then the Father's love is fulfilled and completed, and that brings Him delight, and it brings us joy. Uh, verse 24, uh, ask and you will receive, and your joy will be full, not because God has given you exactly the thing that you wanted, but because you are not resting on yourself or on your own strength, but on Christ and seeing Him provide. Uh, well, the passage ends in kind of a curious way. Uh, in verse 29, the disciples are suddenly elated. Um, something clicks for them and they say, well, now we know, now we believe. You know, you can hear their overconfidence. Oh, we totally get you now, Jesus. Good sermon. It, it worked for me. Uh, and Jesus kind of has to bring them down to earth a little bit. Jesus confronts them with their coming desertion in verse 32. Uh, he says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Uh, so there are some things that you really learn from experience and not from sermons. Uh, and one of them is your weakness and God's faithfulness. Uh, all of Jesus' friends will desert him and leave him alone. Uh, and then we get this amazing statement that Jesus is not alone, for the Father is always with him. Uh, I could riff on that for too long because it's really interesting. In Matthew and Mark... Uh, the cross is really presented as divine abandonment. Jesus makes that cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
In John, the cross is really more divine victory and divine presence. Uh, God is present in the cross to glorify the Son. Both of those are true. Don't ask me how, above my pay grade. Um, But God is faithful uh, to Jesus, and God is faithful uh, to us, even and especially when people are unfaithful. Uh, and so Jesus highlights their, disciple, their, uh, their desertion, and then he says in verse 33, uh, I have said these things to you, uh, which means the whole sermon, but I really think this comment about their desertion. I have said these things to you so that you can have peace. Uh, do you know what gives peace? That Jesus knows you're frail and fallible. That Jesus knows you will stumble and fall. And that Jesus is still committed to you, knows you, loves you, and says, the victory does not depend on you. It depends on me. Uh, And if you know this, you will take heart, Jesus says. Uh, In the world, you will have troubles. Uh, That's not just a statement for the twelve apostles. Uh, It's the pattern of every disciple. Uh, Trouble here, Jesus uses the same word back in verse 21. Labor pains. Uh, The world is still groaning, Paul says, with labor pains, waiting to be set free from its bondage. We feel it every day. Uh, So much of our disappointment in life comes from refusing to believe this simple biblical truth from Jesus. In the world, you will have trouble. Uh, If your main goal in life is to avoid trouble, hardship, difficulty, disappointment, uh, if your expectation is that the normal is being trouble-free, you are at odds with this word from Jesus. Uh, In this world, you will have trouble uh, and pain and sorrow and weakness and tears and grief. Uh, But you can take heart. You are not alone You are not on your own. Jesus has overcome the world. And that is the last word of the chapter. That is the last word of the upper room sermon because chapter 17 is Jesus closing in prayer. Uh, The victory does not depend on us. If it did, we'd never have peace. Uh, But Jesus is raised. He has the victory. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And whatever sorrows you have, believe there is a day when you will look back on them and you will see they were preparing you for a joy that you can't even imagine right now. I'll say it one more time. Whatever sorrows you have, believe there is a day when you will look back on them and see they were preparing you for a joy that you can't even imagine right now because if Jesus can conquer death, He can also do that. Amen? Let's pray.